So our series is called Hope for the Broken. And I would say to you this morning, one of my struggles, we sing a song here called Flawless. In the song Flawless, it talks about our weaknesses. And at one point, we had a bunch of us church members take our pictures next to our weaknesses. <laughs> and, uh, and then the song, when it says that the cross covers that, it, you know, it just transfers that off of us. And so mine on the screen, when you see that song Flawless, is that uh, I have a fear of failure. Big one, by the way, big one. Um, I feel like I'm constantly, I wake up in the morning wondering what else I've messed up or failed with. So that's a challenge for me. And I have to overcome that with truth and with scripture. Um, and this series, if you're a fear of failure person, okay, we're sympathetic on that. If you're, if you're connected with that, you're going to really need to bolt yourself in for these truths and listen carefully to what the scriptures teach us about the coming of Christ and the hope that it brings us. Is there really any hope? We posted this in social media this week. Is there really any hope? For someone whose life is an absolute mess, I mean a mess, a mess, is there really any help for lives and families that are broken? I mean, really badly broken. Last night I was at the Home of Grace around the corner. They had a chapel service. Um, they have their one-year uh, birthday service, and Miss Littleton gives everybody a cake that comes to that that's in a sobriety system, and they're, they're, they're clean of drugs for how many years? And one, one lady was clean of drugs for 38 years, and uh, she got her cake. She's been there 38 times to get 38 cakes. And another lady was 10 months clean, and she got a cake. So, so But there were 40-something ladies along that wall when she called. She said, y'all line up over here, and I'll let you all give your testimony. I'm sitting there going, what time is this thing going to be over? 48 women going to get there and talk. And, uh, but it was fantastic because you know what their story was? I'm a mess. I'm an absolute mess. My life was a mess. More than half of them just said, kind of like looked at the girl in front and went, what she said, you know, living, living in my car, living, living at the river in a box, and they had ruined everything. My family wouldn't talk to me. And I came up here to get help, and not just help, but they, they showed me Jesus. And Jesus gave me a different life and changed me. It was really cool to see that. And I was like, you know, tomorrow, Lord, I'm teaching on hope for the broken. So the reason you had me come to this chapel was to hear 40-something versions of that message, right? So I also have a secondary title for this, not just hope for the broken. I have two, two subtitles for my millennials. So, so you millennials, you young folks out there, okay? The first subtitle would be... Wait, what? 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 That's the first subtitle. Wait, what? Because there's a ton of places in the Bible where you look at, you read it, and you go, wait, what? And this is one of them. This is the Christmas story is one of those moments, right? So there's a second subtitle. I wish my daughter was here because this is one of her favorites in the world. This is the second subtitle. What? <laughs> That's it right there. What? <laughs> yeah. The little minion going, what? Okay, that's exactly how this message is going to play out. And I'll show you where that happens in the storyline. So I'm going to give you a bit of the Christmas story. And we're going to start with Israel's history. Okay, it's important that you know Israel's history with God. Um, Israel called God to be his own people. Genesis chapter 12 told Abraham, I'm going to raise up out of you a nation. By the way, Abraham's wife was barren. But I'm going to raise up out of you a nation that's more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sands on the sea. A group of 
people will be born to you. And so, and they were God's chosen people. By the way, it says in the Old Testament, this is important, it says in the Old Testament, He did not pick them because they were smart or wise or loving. He picked them because they were stiff-necked. Can you relate? Because they were stubborn, stiff-necked. He picked them because they were trouble and He was going to be their God. And so Israel was rescued out of Egypt by God. He was he, he brought them to the promised land. He gave them all these clear directions and promises. And they start along the path. This may sound a little familiar to you in your faith journey. They start along the path. And then they stumble. And then they actually reject God. They actually turn back to foreign gods. Here's what it says in Isaiah. This is just one little example. I had hundreds of verses I could have put up here for this. It's sad how many verses in the Old Testament say almost the same thing. Isaiah chapter 1. Listen, O heavens, pay attention, O earth, for the Lord speaks. I raised children, I brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. An ox recognizes its owner. A donkey recognizes where its owner put its food. But Israel, think about what Jesus, what God just said to Israel. I, I know ox and donkeys better than y'all. That's what he's saying. There are ox and donkeys smarter than you guys. But Israel doesn't recognize me. My people do not understand. The sinful nation is as good as dead. The people weighed down by evil deeds. They are offspring who do wrong, children who do wicked things. They have abandoned the Lord, rejected the Holy One. They are alienated from Him. Why do you insist on being battered? Why do you continue to rebel? The whole book of Isaiah is written by a prophet that says, please stop doing that. Please stop doing that. You're dumber than an ox. I used to wonder where that phrase came from. Then I found it in the Bible. I'm like, that's why my dad used to say that to me. Stan, Stanley, you're dumber than an ox. I'm like, oh my God. Dad was quoting scripture to me. I didn't even know it. Okay. Scoot over to Psalm 78 in your, in your Bibles. If you have your physical Bible, it'd be great. Psalm 78 is a summary of Israel's history and God's help. And here's how the chapter goes. God did these awesome things. Israel rebelled. God did these awesome things. Israel rejected. God did these awesome things. Israel ignored him. Right? So I'm just going to hit the highlights of that with you. Because there's a way to do it all in one concise little place. Psalm 78 verse 10. The chief musician of King David. is a guy named Asaph. And he wrote this as a song. I would love to hear the music. Well, I guess when we get to heaven because we'll sing the psalms. It would be interesting to hear the music that went with this psalm. Because uh, it's very powerful. Psalm 78 after some great things that God did. Psalm 78 verse 10. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by His instructions. They forgot what He had done. The great wonders He had shown them. Do you know why we always or regularly, as, as often as I can, point you to the cross? So you won't forget. You know what our nature is? To forget. We forget what great things, the great thing, the only thing that really matters that Christ has done for us is the cross. Psalm 78 verse 17 Yet they kept on sinning against him and rebelling. By the way, he just explained in the verses in between. Here's what God did to help. Here's what God called them out of that. He rescued. He helped. Yet they kept on sinning, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They stubbornly tested God in their hearts, demanding the foods they craved. Remember when they said in, in, in the desert, we miss the food of Egypt. We want the leeks and the onions. Yay, leeks and onions. We love those things. It's like that's from your sinful past. you got to walk away. Come on. 
They even spoke against God, verse 19. They even spoke against God himself saying, God can't give us food in the wilderness. Yes, he can strike a rock so water goes out, but he can't give his people bread and meat. You know what God did when they spoke out against him? You know what he did? He gave them food. He gave them more food than they could eat, by the way. He gave them manna. And he gave, remember the birds that all fell? They could all have meat. He's like, what do you mean I can't? And, and he just said, I love you. I'm trying. I'm trying to show you some grace and some love. Psalm 78, verse 40, after he gave them all that. Oh, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved his heart in the dry wastelands. And again and again, they tested God's patience and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power and how he rescued them from their enemies. They did not remember his miraculous signs in Egypt, his wonders on the plains of Zoan. They didn't remember. They didn't remember. It's kind of an interesting day to take communion, isn't it? It's a call to remembrance. Let's remember. Let's remember what He has done for us. Psalm 78, verse 56. After again, a whole litany of great things. But they kept testing and rebelling against God, the Most High. They did not obey His laws. They turned back and were as faithless as their parents... They were as undependable as a crooked bow. Those of us that hunt with bows, those of us that love shooting recurve bows, totally get that verse, by the way. I love that verse. They were as undependable as crooked bow. They angered God by building shrines to other gods, made him jealous with their idols. That's crazy how rebellious those people are. And so at the end of all of the prophets and the callings and the God sending servant after servant to call Israel out of their rebellion. If you keep rebelling, I'm going to have to let the other nations judge you. By the way, here comes the Assyrian army to judge you, right? So here come the Assyrians. If you want to know how bad they are, that's the modern day Taliban, by the way. The Assyrians and the Taliban, that's the same group of people. They're going to come in bloodthirsty and just wipe you out. They did. And, and then so Israel finally figures out, repents. God says, now here comes Babylon. Once again, you're rebelling. Here comes Babylon. You're not going to be able to resist them if you have foreign gods. If you're using their gods as your god, they're not going to protect you. Here comes Babylon, wipes them out. So Israel is constantly in this place of rejecting and rebelling. And God is constantly speaking rescue to them. Calling them to love Him, focus on Him, follow Him. And they constantly are going... Sounds good, but no thanks. And they rebel, and they rebel, and they rebel. And then there's these 400 silent years. 400 silent years. You know how many generations that is? That's a bunch. That's a bunch of generations. Where God didn't speak at all. There were no prophets. Then a guy named John the Baptist shows up. And he starts, and he's crazy as a loon now. John the Baptist, you know, just crazy as he can be, screaming, actually said he could shout really loud, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's baptizing Israelites in the Jordan River. And he's the forerunner, the first prophet that foreruns this next truth. And this is the wait, what moment right here. Okay, this is the little minion going, what? After all that rebellion and all that rejection, 
400 silent years. And then, then an angel appears to Mary, who's a young teenager in a very obscure town. Luke chapter 1. After all that crazy rebellion and rejection, it says this in Luke chapter 1, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth's uh, pregnant with John the Baptist, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of the king of David. Imagine that. Joseph's a descendant of the king of David. And he's just a carpenter, by the way. He's not a king. He's a carpenter in a tiny little town in a tiny little village that's very obscure. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. Angel said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. She's a teenager. She's like, What? So, confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. I picture her doing the little minion thing going, What? She, she was engaged to be married, by the way. Confused and disturbed, she tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. His name will be Jesus. He will be very great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary said, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born. So the baby to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. Had Joseph been involved in this process at all, the baby would have a sin nature. Joseph could not be involved in the birth of Christ because the sin nature is transferred through the guys, right? So ladies, the reason your children are bad... Just clear as a bell, by the way. The reason your children are bad and do bad things, that's on us. It actually says in the Bible, we transfer the sin nature. You don't. If you could have babies by yourself, they'd be little Jesuses everywhere, right? So, kind of weird, isn't it? He will be very great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. He'll, he'll have the throne of David. He'll reign over Israel forever. Mary says, how can this possibly be? So the baby to be born be holy, called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. Uh, People used to say she was barren, but now she's in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And then Mary makes the beautiful response that we know very well. I am the Lord's servant. One translation just says, be it unto me according to the word of the Lord. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. She knew scriptures and prophecy. Even as a teenager, she knew scriptures and truth and prophecy. And she got focused on that and she heard that. And she said, as, as, the, as the Lord says, that's what's going to happen. I follow the deal of the Lord. Now let me just tell you a couple quick things about Mary. Okay? She is from a very simple group of people. Very insignificant. She, she and her family... okay. Were very simple people. They weren't popular or famous. The town wasn't big. The town wasn't even known for anything good. Remember the remember the Pharisees later on go, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Those of us from Sims and Westmobile and Wilmer, we get all that, right? What good could that happen? 
That's exactly what they said. Mary and her family. Joseph was a man of great honor and faith, by the way. Because he is fixing to have to make a decision. Daniel had to visit him too and explain it all to him. Because he would not have understood much of this. But when he heard, he also followed in obedience to God. Now he weds Mary early because she's now pregnant, right? And, and they have a baby six months after the wedding. Six months later. Takes how long to birth a baby, ladies? Takes nine. So guess what? Everybody's thinking, no, that's not some miraculous thing. Y'all didn't do what you're supposed to do. Y'all ain't godly people. I promise you, she was shamed. He was shamed all through that town. A handful of people might have believed and got it. Obviously, Elizabeth, her aunt got it. But I'm just telling you, a lot of people, a lot of people would have, would have seen her with great shame and disdain. She's an un, unwed pregnant mother. And now poor old Joseph, his whole life's going to be ruined. <laughs> You're going to have to marry Mary. Poor old Mary. That's how it would have went doesn't really seem like the miraculous birth of the Savior of the world go to go that way, should it? But it did. Because He didn't come to kings. He didn't come to, to great powerful palaces to have the world changed. He came to simple, common people. On a global scale, that whole group of people involved were nobodies. You know that you would never know Mary and Joseph had Jesus not showed up in their world? You just wouldn't. Just like you can't name anybody else from the town of Nazareth, can you? We don't. Historically, we don't know anything in that whole region, really. Very limited information out of that whole region. Until Jesus showed up as a baby. Their town and their culture was basically invisible. Invisible. And I want to tell you why. Because they were blue-collar Hard-working, farming, simple people. Does that relate to you at all? We're, we're not very famous. We're not very notable here. Of course, you know, our congressmen and legislators keep us in the news these days. In the state of Alabama, thank you all very much. Good job, right? But here, I mean, here in Little Mobile, Alabama, you know, Sims, and 8 Mile, and all that, we're not, we're not anything. We're not anything. And yet, the, the Holy One, the Son of God, showed up in that little village to Mary. Israel was not of any notoriety, much less Nazareth or Bethlehem where He's going to be born. Bethlehem. Remember, they're going to travel to Bethlehem because they've got to fill out their census. They've got to, got to go be counted for their census. The government census is coming. And they've got to get back to hometown Bethlehem so they can be counted. Remember, Joseph is from Bethlehem because he is the son of David. Bethlehem, Beth, Hebrew word meaning bread. Bethlehem, house of bread. So the, so the bread of life is going to be born in the house of bread. You think that was an accident? <laughs> you think that was some sort of weird who named this town kind of thing? No. That was God years before saying... Bethlehem, the house of bread, is going to be where I send the living bread to give life to everybody. And, and the, the bread of life, Jesus, is born in the house of bread. Isn't that cool? 
more importantly, Israel and the Hebrew people and God's chosen people were not a good people. That's really what I want you to know. The town's obscure, invisible. The people are nobodies. They're just nobodies up until this moment. And, and worst of all, the nation of Israel itself and the little village and all of that. They're just not good people. You, we've read the Old Testament now. They've all rebelled against God. And sure, there's a, there's a collection of people trying to do good. But as a whole, the nation has sinned, 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 sinned. Rebelled, rebelled, rebelled. And then grace comes to this quiet little place. Grace upon grace comes to this quiet little place. And Mary's contacted by this angel. Because God wasn't looking for rich or famous people. God's not looking for smart people, thank goodness. God's just looking for people who want to be connected with God. And Mary was willing to say, whatever you say, be it unto me according to your word. That's who God's looking for to serve him. So Mary's contacted by the angel. And this not so powerful people become some of the most important people in years of my history. He wanted blue-collar, hard-working, simple people to fulfill His plan. Now, why is that so important? Why is it so important that we have Christmas, that we celebrate the birth of Christ? Our culture is just constantly trying to cut this thing out from under us, okay? Christmas is just a holiday where we give gifts and get a few days off, that kind of deal. But really, it's the celebration of the birth of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, to a little girl named Mary. To a teenager named Mary. It's the celebration of that. Why is that hope so important? Well, I want to tell you a story about a guy named Peter to get that clear to you. So I want you to hear the story of Peter real quick. Now Peter's one of our Bible heroes, yes? He is a hero of the Bible. When you get to the book of Acts, Peter preaches and thousands of people get saved. When you get to the book of Acts, it's important. The book of Acts is way over here. When you get there, thousands of people get saved. When you get to the book of Acts, uh, Peter literally can walk along and say, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I offer you. Rise, take up your pallet and walk. And people are healed like when Jesus would, would heal people. Peter can do that stuff. When you get to the book of Acts, the Bible says Peter can literally walk by somebody that's not feeling well or sick or in, in, in an infirmity, and the shadow of Peter can pass over them and they're healed. That's crazy cool, by the way. Anybody got any healing shadows going on? Because I don't. I mean, it just doesn't happen for me. But he did. Think about that. That's our hero, right? So let's do a little history review of Peter. Peter walked on water. In Matthew chapter 14, Peter walked on water. Y'all remember the story? I've told it many, many times. Right? Jesus calls him out of the boat, middle of the night, middle of the sea of Galilee, middle of the storm. Okay, worst time in the world. Oh, sorry, I need, to, I need to give you the good news first before we get to the bad news. Here's one of Peter's greatest statements he ever makes in his whole life. So good that Jesus actually complimented the daylights at him. Jesus says, are you all going to go? A bunch of people, let 20,000 people walked away from Jesus. And Jesus looked at the disciples and said, are you also going to go away? Peter goes, Lord, where would we go? To whom would, shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus is like, yeah, you got it, Peter. 
Good job. And then Peter's life doesn't go so good from there. So let me just give you the, give you the rest of it, okay? Because it's important. This is why we need Jesus. This is why we need Jesus. Peter's going to walk on water, Matthew 14. Remember, he climbs over the boat in the middle of the night, middle of the city of Galilee, against all his intellect, against all his training, against all his education. He puts his foot on water, and he walks on a rocky, crazy sea. I don't know how that works, okay? But the storm's swelling, so the, the water's going up and down, and Peter's just walking on the water with Jesus, walking to Jesus. And you all know I love to explain to you how Peter walked on water. That's a cool thing. Okay, But today I want to remind you of the second part. He didn't just walk on water. He nearly drowned. You know why? Because he's good old Peter. And he got partway there. My mind a little over halfway. It's a long way to Jesus still. And it's a way long way back to the boat. I don't think I can swim that far. I definitely can't swim that far. I'm in trouble. And he got all panicky about his circumstances and his situation. And he panicked and he nearly drowned. And it says, and immediately Jesus' hand was on him, pulled him up out of the water, right? So Peter went over the side of the boat, walked on the water toward Jesus. When he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified. He began to sink. Prayed this very wonderful little short prayer because he's sinking. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And the Bible says, and immediately Jesus' hand was on him and saved him. I say that's one of the five miracles that happens on the Sea of Galilee that night. There's five miracles that happen. Study them and, and come show them to me. I'll show you the ones you missed if you don't get them all. There's five, that one of them is Jesus coming to Peter to rescue him instantly because they're not close to each other. He pulls him out of the water. He rescues, you know what I call the disciples, he rescues Goober. He just goes, hey, you're just a big Goober. Thanks for trying. And then he says this, why is it you have such little faith? You could have walked all the way. So let's just, let's just talk about some of the things, the dumb stuff Peter does. For a minute, because it's really important. I want you to see the dumb stuff he says and dumb stuff he does. And see who he really is. Because he's our hero in the book of Acts, right? He's our hero. So here's some of his foolishness. Matthew chapter 16. This blows my ever-loving mind. I don't say that I'm not capable of it. Lord, please don't ever let me do it. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus is explaining the whole plan to the disciples. So they're not freaked out when it happens, even though they got freaked out when it happens. <laughs> Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. He turned to Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Only disciple in the New Testament be called Satan by Jesus. Is our hero, Peter. Good job, Peter. Good job, man. You're doing great. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance for me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He's rebuking. Peter is rebuking Jesus, not learning from him. Think about that. He is rebuking, rebuking Jesus. That's some boldness right there. It's actually not bold at all. It's foolish. Because Jesus doesn't ever need rebuking, by the way. He's got this. When he explains it to you, you learn. You don't rebuke him, you learn. But he, Peter, our hero, good job, Peter. He's rebuking Jesus. Luke 22, verse 31. In the upper room, these are his failures. In the upper room, Jesus is explaining to them about 
Well, he, he washes all their feet and he's trying to work through all that with them. And he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you are going to really go through a hard time. Satan himself is going to sift you like wheat. And he goes, no, Lord, that's not me. I, I'm, it, I, I would never leave you nor forsake you. I wouldn't do that. I'll go with you to the prison. I'll die with you. He will. He will deny him, right? He's going to deny Jesus three times. So in the upper room, he's talking when he should have been listening. So he's rebuking when he should be learning. He's talking when he should be listening. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. In the the gospel of Mark, there's this uh, part where... There's this part where he literally is going to fail um, at, at, at praying for Jesus. Jesus takes him into the wilderness, or into the, and he actually takes him into the, the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, Guys, y'all come deeper into the garden with me and pray. It says Jesus was praying so hard that blood came out of his face. That's how hard he's praying. Now, when he's praying that hard, the disciples are supposed to be praying with him. You know what they were doing, right? They were sleeping. So they're sleeping when they should be praying. I don't want to be personal to you, but that's a problem for most of us. We sleep when we should pray. We take more time to sleep than we do to pray sometimes, and it gets us in trouble. So then you get to his failures, which are his three denials. His foolishness is that he was rebuking Jesus, not learning from Jesus. He was talking when he should be listening. He was sleeping when he should be praying. His failure is those three denials. They all happen one after the other. Three denials in a row. Jesus is taken off by the 600 to 1,000 soldiers. Jewish soldiers arrested Jesus. Took him to an overnight holding place. Illegal overnight trial and holding place with the Pharisees. At daylight, they're going to take him to Pilate and try to get him crucified and make it all happen politically. It's very crazy what happens with all that. But here is, here is Peter in the midst of all that caught in what you guys know, the three denials, where he just denies Jesus three times in a row. Third time, Jesus walking across the courtyard, looks him in the eye when he made that third denial. Third denial was the worst one of all. Actually, says he said swear words. So he wouldn't be associated with Jesus. That's our hero. Good job, Peter. You're doing great, guy. With guys like you serving, we're going to go a long way. This, this faith thing's going a long way. So by the time you get to John 21, Jesus, in John 21, Jesus has died on the cross, been buried, resurrected, and come back and revealed himself. And you go, well, that, that'll help. Peter will figure it out by now. No. Jesus only visited with the disciples a few times after his resurrection. Only a few times. But here's the deal. When he, when he did visit with them, he was trying to comfort them and get them pointed in the right direction. John 21, Peter goes back to fishing. I'd like you to look at the verses in John 21. Uh, verse uh, 1, 2, and 3. Here's what it says. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias. They were together there. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel. He's got all the disciples. Sons of Zebedee and two others of the disciples. Simon says, verse 3, I am going fishing. The grammar of that word is I am going back to my fishing. What was Peter before Jesus called him? A fisherman. I'm going to go back to my fishing now. Back to my fishing. You know what that means? He quit. Done. I walked with that guy a long time, but here's what I've done. I've really messed up. 
Oh, I left out one of the really important mess-ups, by the way, in his failures. He tried to murder a man in the Garden of Gethsemane. He tried to murder a man. Standing next to Jesus, he whips out a little sword. When they're getting ready to arrest him in the garden, he whips out a little sword. And he cuts off a guy's ear. I promise you what naming for the ear. He wasn't. He was going to split that guy's skull wide open with that sword. Going to go right through the leather helmet that the that those uh, Israelite soldiers wore and just take his head off. And the guy moves his head and just gets his ear. Jesus has to fix all that. Tells Peter again, put up your sword. What's wrong with you? I have to drink from this cup, right? So Peter's just this crazy, messed up, mess, 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 mess. And now he's quit. He's just quit. He's gone back to fishing. Fishes all night. John 21, read the story. Fishes all night, doesn't catch anything. How many fishermen can relate to that? Amen? Right, you can relate though. You fish all night, don't catch anything. Nothing. And then this guy on the shore hollers out to him, Hey, cast your nets on the other side. Oh, man. Peter's like, that sounds familiar. I've heard that before. So they throw the nets over, and of course, this giant haul of fish come in. Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. And this is the moment where the little minion goes, wait, what? Wait, what? You know what Jesus does when they get to the seashore? John 21. Watch this. John 21. Peter has... Messed up, denied, tried to murder somebody, slept, rebuked. He's made all these mistakes in his ministry journey with Jesus. He's wrecked his ministry journey with Jesus. And Jesus calls him to the seashore and goes, Come have some breakfast. Just come have some breakfast with me. Come and have breakfast, John 21, verse 12. Nobody dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. He had cooked some fish and bread for breakfast for Peter. And he takes Peter on a walk. That's when he asked Peter, do you love me more than these? He's not talking about the other disciples. He's talking about the boats. The boats are anchored right there. Peter had gone back to his boats. Jesus walking down the shore going, Peter, do you love me more than these? And there's a great conversation about what, what God's calling him to do. And then, then Jesus just says these words to Peter. Listen to the words. Follow me. What? He's a mess. He has messed up. He has failed. Denied. Rebuked. Rejected and quit. And Jesus goes, here's relationship. Here's relationship. Jesus goes, let's have some breakfast. Let's have some breakfast. Let's walk together. Follow me. So those of us that are failures and know it, those of us that live in fear of failure, we got to love some Peter. (laughs) Because he made a mess of everything. And Jesus still said, you're mine. It's okay. Let's walk together. And I have a great friend in Georgia. Years ago, we sat down for a long talk camp. And he told me about his failed marriage and his mess he'd made. God had called him to ministry and he just couldn't seem to get over it. And so we started talking. And we started looking at how God restores and renews and redeems people. 
And I just told him, I said, look, I know there are denominations and there are people, I get that, that theologically think you're not qualified to minister. I just don't see that in the Bible when it comes to restoration. If you're sincere with your walk with God and you're trying to repair and restore and renew everything that was broken, because that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to restore and renew relationships. He calls us into himself and he knows ahead of time you're going to be a mess. Israel was a mess when he sent Jesus. They were rejecting him like crazy, denying him. The entire reason he came to earth was to show his grace, was to show his grace to broken, messed up people, offer them hope and help out of our mess. He's the one who can fix our mess permanently and fully. Jesus is the one who can do that. Listen to the words of this song. Um, Natalie Grant sings a song called Clean. But the reason Jesus came to earth was to show grace. Now listen to these words. Natalie Grant. Song Clean. I, am sh- I see shattered. You see whole. I see broken. But you see Beautiful. And you're helping me to believe. You're restoring me. Listen to her words. You're restoring me piece by piece. There is nothing too dirty that you can't make worthy. You wash me in mercy and I'm clean. Here's the chorus. I want you to hear it again. You're going to hear it song next week, please. <laughs> There's nothing too dirty that you can't make worthy. You wash me in mercy and I am clean. Please don't ever believe you're too dirty. That your mess can't be resolved. That God can't restore people and heal and help people. It doesn't matter how big the mess is. God is bigger than all that mess. Amen? Man, y'all are almost convinced. I'm going to have to start over. God is bigger than the mess. Amen? we got to believe that. We have hope. You can offer hope to broken, hurting people that are in big old messes. Big old messes. Don't be ashamed of telling them about your mess. Tell them Peter's story. He was a mess. And then Jesus goes, let's have some breakfast. Let's start over. Follow me. Wait, what? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. Grace doesn't make any sense. 